Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. Right now, you're tuned to Bite Into It on 3 Triple R. I'm Lily Ryan. And behind the panel, we have the incomparable Dan Salmon. Good evening, Lily. How are you? I'm not too bad. How about you? What piece of tech um, has uh, either caused you great despair or great delight this <sighs> week? Dan? See, I'm, I'm, I reckon we're not quite at despair, but we're at, um, I suppose, the, the my, my phone is in its death throes. Ah. So it's, it's I've... I used to be the kind of person who would, you know, get the the new one every every year or whenever, you know, give it a couple of years. But this this phone that I I, I bought and the difference was that I bought this one outright oh. rather than getting on a plan because you know apparently that's what you do when you grow up. Um, but <laughs> so anyway, I I came into this particular device intending to wear it into the ground. Sure. And but now I'm I'm, I'm at the point where. How am I defining where it into the ground? Is it is it battery doesn't last too long? Is it no longer holds the capacity has the capacity for all the things that I want to put on it, or is it literally does not turn on? Because of those three circumstances, we're at one and a half of them, and right. so so like it's it's I'm I'm at the point now where I'm deleting apps to make room for new apps. Okay, okay. But I'm also um, not like able to charge it for more than a day. Like it needs to be charged for most of the day in order to be a continued thing, but it's not, not working. How how old is this one? It's it's an iPhone XR, so I think we're probably talking 2018, 2019. It's maybe four or five years old. Uh, firstly, it's just astounding to me that that was four or five years ago. I know. Um, but also it's kind of like, oh, really? Is that all? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we often bemoan the fact that, you know, things don't last as long as they used to, but... They don't, and it's a pain in the ass. Yeah, no, I know, I know. Uh, no, that's. Uh, I mean, it's an it's an interesting question, and I've got. I mean, I've got an iPhone thirteen something. Mm, yeah. So you know, it's it's a fair bit newer than that. But um, I have also in previous with previous phones been an Android user and tried to extend the life of that of phones that I've had by like reinstalling different operating systems, which is a lot harder to do on an iPhone. Mm, definitely, and and you know, once you're at the point where it's the you know the new the new iOS is out and your phone is not really going to be compatible with it anymore. That it like you you feel a bit cheated, but at the same time it's like oh, anyway. I, I, yeah. I could go on about this for much longer than we need to. How was your week in tech? Really? I've actually had a pretty a pretty good one. I've had a the last week or so has just been full of really good conversations with people about tech that have reaffirmed that you know fundamentally tech is about humans and that there are quite a lot of good humans out there. I love that feeling. Yeah, there was a I mean there was a Twitter thread today that really kind of drove that home for me where there was a a woman looking for a a piece of music that was in the background of an episode of The X-Files. Mm. And did you see this one? I, I, I didn't see it, but I, I saw it alluded to. And for some reason, the, the post didn't actually load for me. So please, give me give me some more info because I was intrigued when I saw you well, post it's, it. Well, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Um, she, she, I think, I think she, they were looking for um, this, this piece of music that was in the background of an episode of The X-Files and were looking up the lyrics. It's kind of this sort of country pop thing with a nice, like an interesting sounding hook. Mm. And... In looking up the lyrics, they found that the only other lyrics were just other people who, since 1998, when the episode aired, had been looking for this piece of music. Oh. 
and nobody had been able to find it. It wasn't a, you know, like a popular song that had been on the radio. And over the course of the last 12, 18 hours, people have been sleuthing their butts off to find out what this song is, who wrote it, where it came from. Wow. Yeah. So, so like people have found their people online in a sense or yeah. like created a little community of let's find this song. Yeah, yeah. That's it a was, beautiful thing. It just it felt like, you know, um, an entire season of an investigative podcast squished <laughs> into a Twitter thread. And it was really nice to see because I know that there's – it just feels that um, – you know, those things happen. It's mm. always people helping people out and people exist in many different spaces. But to see such a clear and wholesome example of this happening was just really wonderful. And then, you know, on the weekend, I went to the Art in Australia um, AI Race and Art Study in and had some spectacular conversations with the folks there. And it overall just been a really good thing for, you know, tech is about people and a lot of people care about other people. See, th- this this gives me warmth as we get towards the end of what I think has probably been a pretty difficult year when in the tech space. We've, we've seen a lot of mal- malefactors, a lot of negativity, mm. a lot of people being like, ah. it's nice to just pause for a moment and just think about the good things. Yeah. Let's let, let, let's hold on to that for, the, for for as long as we can, at least for the rest of this year. Yeah, and I think um, you know, with with tonight's show, we've got a bit of that. We can we can dig into it. Dan and I will be talking first up about the PlayStation content access issues that that sort of kicked off last week, where they were removing some of their access to certain streaming media, and then also some people getting locked out of the games that they'd paid for, mm. um, and tying that back to the ephemeral nature of digital media and this you know, perpetual conversation about it and what that means for us in 2023. And then after that, we're going to talk to Councillor Jamal Hakim from the City of Melbourne, who's going to talk about the new library at the Queen Vic Market. And I think that's going to round it off pretty nicely. It is. It's it's going to be a great show. But as always, we begin with things that have happened in what we might call news of the week. What Uh, has happened? Well, look, this is an interesting one. So um, for those who have not heard of 23andMe, it's it's, uh, basically a a publicly available test-yourself genetics test. And people often do it in order to, you know, find out what percentage of their ethnicity might be. And I'm Mm. like, I mean, I'm, I'm not... The, the word ethnicity to me is icky, but that's kind of where a lot of people like do that. It's, oh, you know, I'm 20% Arabic or I'm, you know, mainly English and Irish or whatever it is. But so so 23andMe is one of the, the big, big ones of, of in the world. And they've done, uh, you know, millions and millions of tests for people who, you know, order their thing, swab their mouth, put it in an envelope, send it away. And then if, a couple of weeks later, they get a kind of summary of what they are genetically. Mm. Um Turns out that 23andMe um, has uh, been under a security breach and nearly 7 million people have had their DNA ancestry information compromised by um, a, a data breach back in October. Now, this is uh, they're, they're saying that the personal data of about 0.1% of the customers or about 14,000 individuals had been accessed by threat actors. Lily, that's a term that I'm not familiar with. Oh, no, that is a, it is a term that gets used, yeah, threat actors. Mm-hmm. It's... Um... It's not, I mean, it's not really as cool as it sounds, no. but basically just means uh, criminals. Right. Okay. Yep. Um, and, but look, it's, it's a significant number of files containing profile information as well as their actual um, user's ancestry. Now, if, if you are someone who has um, 
uh, use 23andMe yourself, uh, you, you probably will get contacted by them. But if you haven't been contacted already, it's probably worthwhile jumping online and just making sure that you aren't among uh, the... Seven million people whose information has been uh, has been breached. Yikes! Yeah, it's seven... I saw some people out there saying, "Well, you know what? I guess it's time to you know change your DNA." Well, this is the thing, right? Like we're we're at this point where we just like, um, but unfortunately, this is an as is model. This is an entirely opt in model. No one is forcing people to provide their their saliva swabs to a company that's going to. Be, I mean, so I've got. I don't want to say I've got less sympathy for them, but at the same time, it's not the same as having your driver's license hacked, where that's a, that's something that you, in order to you know function in a lot of ways in this society, you need to have a driver's license. Mm. Um, but it, it still it sucks and it shouldn't happen, um, and we do feel for you. But so yeah, jump 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 online and just make sure or uh, check to see if if you are included in those uh, users. Yeah, yikes! Mm. That's uh. That's- kind of crap yeah it, it is it is and and especially when you know we're, we're living in a world at the moment where people's genetic background and their their cultural and ethnic background is being used against them in so many ways yeah um so the fact that people have that stuff that might actually be out there that you know we could could put them at risk it might you know it may not but it may um so yeah. look, we, we we feel for you there and it's, and it's not just those folks either like a lot of things it's interconnected right it's mm. it's also people who are genetically related to those folks who are going to have that kind of information um by proxy kind of absolutely out there and inferences drawn and all that sort of stuff absolutely absolutely it goes much broader than just the users of yeah of, of the information yeah. Well, what else has been happening, Lily? Oh, what else? What hasn't been happening? I feel like all the usual things are going on. But mm-hmm. um, one of the one of the things that really piqued my interest over the last week or so was that there were a group of researchers from Google who discovered that with um, with regard to Chat GPT, mm-hmm. um, you know, everybody's favorite online artificial intelligence, large language model chatbot <laughs> thing. It has to be the word of the year, doesn't it? Chat GPT. Oh, we're at the point of the year where they are releasing words of the year, and I think. Generative AI made one of those lists. I'm it not must sure. Have, can, it yeah, must yeah. Have, yeah. So, you know, uh, it's it's out there. But anyway, um, some some researchers from Google have looked at ChatGPT and, and noted that you could get information out of ChatGPT from the the databases that it had been trained on. Mm. And that's you know, when they say LLM, one of those L's is for large. There's a like, it's a large <laughs> amount of information in the data sets, um, more or less. You know, scraping the entire content of the internet. Right. So these researchers found that if you ask ChatGPT to repeat a word infinitely or indefinitely, either way, doesn't matter what the word is, it will eventually start to spit out some of that training data. Really? Yeah, so they they, um, wrote up a paper and published it to demonstrate the method and to show that, oh, yes, this is actual data. It's not just, you know, random tokens or strings that are being put together. It is actually text from the training databases. What an interesting test. Like, because, I I mean, I would not have thought that – I'm sure that, you know, there was always going to be a command that you gave to this model that would – spit out something strange because that's the whole thing it's 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 a machine but it's a, it's a smart but dumb machine but i would never have thought just asking it to repeat the same word over and over again infin- ad infinitum would be what would break it it's it's very <laughs> it's like it's really interesting there have definitely been some interesting things that have come out of you know how to how to break or jailbreak um these kinds of models mm. a few months ago some other researchers released a paper saying that there were particular types of strings or types of text or commands that you could put in that would 
and not just ChatGPT, but also other text-based large language models um, that would then cause it to um, do more or less whatever you asked it. Most of these things have got guardrails or instructions mm. that would enable well, would enable the company who's putting them out there to kind of nudge it in the direction that was more politic for them. Mm. But there have been quite a few different things. And because uh, because of the way these things are put together, it's it's always really interesting to see that they can also be broken in some pretty strange ways. But what interested me most about this was also that, um, you know, in, in revealing a security vulnerability like this, mm. you tend to, when you discover it, contact the company and give them ample opportunity to respond to you and work with you and patch it and so on. Um, 404 Media was reporting that um, now when you try to replicate this inside of ChatGPT and you're asking it to repeat a word, you know, infinitely. Mm. Yeah. Um, it comes back and tells you that it's against its terms of service, which it, is an interesting I, like that's not a patch. No, that's that, <laughs> that that's just a, that's just a, a I mean it's an attempt at a patch. It's 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 a band-aid. It's a loop. It's we found a loophole we can't be bothered fixing. It's it's an interesting one. I'm sure that they've done other things as well. It was just interesting to me that this particular thing is is now also like oh it's a terms of service thing. Well, I mean falling back on terms of service is is a cop out. It's it's like oh I'm sorry we found a thing that we like. I mean there's there's using ChatGPT to be racist. That to me should be a breach of terms of service. Mm-hmm. Using ChatGPT in a way that might break ChatGPT that's not a breach of terms of service. There's a there's a variety of things that you know like it depends how you break the model yeah. and what you do and I can I can see where um something with a potentially malicious intent yeah. could be considered that way but it is also something that is not a it's not a technical fix to the problem no. there may be other fixes that they've put in under the hood but it is quite expensive and time consuming to train new models so of the patches uh, not applied at that kind of level. I'd be, I'd be interested to find out, and I'm not about to read the terms of service for ChatGPT. I've got better things to do with my time, but I'd be interested to see what the actual wording of the update to the terms of service to actually make this in breach would be, whether it is uh, ask, like it is as specific as asking ChatGPT to repeat a word forever, or is it using providing ChatGPT with a command that will compromise the way that it works or something like that like how how much how much ass covering they're doing here yeah well i mean 404 media wrote a really good piece about it but also if you don't want to read their terms of service you could get chat gpt to summarize it for you that's a very good point this is a podcast from triple r an independent media organization in melbourne australia Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. And Lily, we've got some interesting chat to have right now. Yeah, so last week the PlayStation Store uh, announced to the people in the US who had purchased certain types of content um, that had been made by the network Discovery that they they were no longer going to serve those those content um, that those pieces of content to the people who had purchased them because mm. um, Discovery has been apparently like purchased by I think Warner Brothers you know in the way that many of these big media companies are buying other media companies and eventually it'll become one kind of blob with with everything all properties under the sun or something we are we are media we are borg yeah yeah so um the playstation network has written to those people and said hey look all of this content through discovery we can no longer offer it to you because the licensing has just been uh removed Mm -hmm. so we're you know it's going 
by right. the state. Goodbye. Okay. And there are a lot of people who were really upset about that because they had paid money to the PlayStation Network and to Sony for access to that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I look, I mean, for access to that stuff is probably kind of the point of what we're getting at here. Absolutely. Because, you know, if you've paid money for something and there are a lot of people who are under this impression that you would be able to access it forever. There was no way for people to download the content that they had paid for. Um, these are a lot of different kinds of reality shows and other things. There's quite a quite a long list that they published on the website, um, on the PlayStation website, about what would be pulled. And so that that caused quite a lot of consternation, as you might imagine, because you know people have paid money for this stuff. It's going away. That's it. And and you know, they've they've paid their money on the understanding that they're owning the content rather than. Uh, having access to the content or paying for the rights to stream the content it's right. a, it's a it's a one off payment similar to how you know back in the day when we bought physical media you would buy a dvd or you would buy a cd and you know you might you would own that physical object and have the right to use that physical object for your own entertainment at the very least uh, uh, for as long as you owned that piece of media yeah. like the cd or the dvd or whatever it was the yeah. tape well, and then the the other thing that happened um, was that on Monday, so you know, just a couple of days ago, um, there were also members of the PlayStation Network um, who found that their accounts for the PlayStation Network had been banned for no no reason. It's it's still kind of mysterious as to mm. why this happened. Yeah. Sony haven't said why, but they did reinstate the banned accounts. But for a period there, you couldn't log in. Some people couldn't log in. Um, because their accounts had been banned, and that meant that they couldn't access the games that they had paid for and downloaded via the PlayStation Network as well. Mm. There are a couple of different ways you can get you know, get games to play on a PlayStation. You could go and buy it from a, a store and buy a physical disc or whatever, um, or you could buy it through the PlayStation Network and download it to your PS4, PS5, whatever you've got, and play it as a file from there. And for people who had done that, um, and for those things that required that that internet access and that account connection it was gone mm. for, for for no for no apparent reason and by the sounds of it no real breach of the whatever terms and conditions that they had signed on to in setting up their uh, accounts in the first place right and so this as i said um was reinstated um so for those who were impacted it, it should be fine now did they get an apology from playstation or something i'm i'm sure they did yeah. um but not any real reason as to why this had occurred. Okay. But having these two things occur in quick succession has, I think, really driven it home to a lot of PlayStation users that this kind of content is, even if you pay money for it, you don't really own it in the sense that you can you can go and take it with you. And this is something that I think we're all fairly familiar with at this point. It's not news. No, it's not. And, and it's something that I suppose we've kind of... Over the certainly over the last ten or fifteen years, we've become inured to this idea that if it's if it's a digital piece of media, of song or a movie or something like that, it's more malleable and the kind of the ownership of it is murky. And like when we talk about ownership, like we could get into a whole philosophical argument <laughs> about who owns a song, and you know that goes into issues of copyright and all kind all kinds of um, uh, dark depths that we've been talking about since you know we were able to have recorded media. But the I suppose the the bit of history that I, that this reminds me of is back ten or fifteen years ago when um, rather than uh, so so back when I when I iPhones and what are I, even iPods and iTunes first became a bit of a force in the digital media realm. 
what you would do would take your CD collection and you'd upload it into your computer, yeah, into you your iTunes account. You rip it all and you oh, put it in there. And I spent I spent a lot of time doing that. It was it was a rite of passage. You know, yeah. you get a computer, you get an iPod, and you put every CD you have into that computer, and then you don't play those CDs anymore because you're playing the digital version of it, the forty four thousand hertz, um, you know, CD rip of the CD that you owned mm. on your iPod. But then what happened was that Apple, as they moved to uh, the the sort of iTunes streaming uh, model that they now use now, they actually replaced a lot of more or less all of the kind of ripped versions of the songs that you pull from your CD on your computer to a D- like a, a kind of a digital version of DRM like protected Apple-owned or Apple-sanctioned like they... version of the of the file. The file actually changed. It became right. something that was kind of streamed or hosted separate to your computer. And in one fell swoop, the kind of ownership of the media became a lot more murky. It became a, so do I own that song anymore? Do I own the CD? <laughs> I still own the CD, but I don't play the CD. Yeah. Like it, it's, you know what? Also, I'm thinking about the ways that you know there were some songs that I would listen to on CD, and because of the way that either, you know, some of them were burned, and some of them had been kicking around in various books of CDs, and you know, with other discmans and other things over time, and they'd get skips and and all kinds of weird artifacts. And they were them. your skips. They yes. were the skips that you created. There are, I still so, you know, I hear versions of songs now and I'm like, I expect the skip to come. I can remember where they were supposed to be. Totally. It, it's actually kind of nostalgic. Absolutely. I, I would feel really upset to have the file replaced. It's like, no, it's not the same song. It's exactly. got the skip in it. You can't, you can't take that from me. So streaming services, that's another thing I kind of wanted to look at here as well because – there is, you know, you've got Netflix, Spotify, all of these platforms where you're not exactly paying for the music itself. You're paying a fee to access their library and streaming it down. And that is kind of a distinct model to what was going on with the PlayStation Store where people were purchasing specific things and saying, okay, look, I've paid for season whatever of Cake Wars um, and I paid the money to, to be able to see that. Whereas if you're paying for access to a service that has that series on it, you could just watch it. But if it went away and, you know, Netflix does this all the time, mm-hmm. most streaming platforms do. It would be really annoying, but also it's it's a different breaks. sort of sense of ownership, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I think the way that perhaps our relationship with this stuff may have shifted as well. When I'm thinking through that, so the Spotify rap stuff happened last last week, right? Was it, it did. Yeah, 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 last week. Yeah, and pretty much every platform you could stream music on now has a version of this apple's got replay and i think there are you know, there are various other things yeah like a digest of the things that you listen to this year that make you you and it's very it's very it's very cute it's very like i mean it's it's an algorithm that creates a video that shows you the things that you play but it makes you feel like oh i'm 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 special i'm her this is my taste and yeah. this, this this belongs to me but it doesn't belong to you. Well, the other thing, like for me, I I left Spotify oh, a couple of years ago. Mm. Um, I don't know during one or the other of the things where people were like, "I'm going to leave Spotify," so I did. Mm. Um, and I have since then split my listening across about oh, three or four different apps. And um, because I am a dreadful hipster, started to collect records earlier this year as well. So now I listen to physical media, and I will go and 
buy a record and listen to it and that kind of thing. So when I got my like Apple music replay thing, it was actually like, oh, you spent 60 minutes listening to this album. And it's, you know, they were music, the music I loved, but also it was definitely not a complete picture. It was really no. interesting because that, you know, there's no way to do that. Exactly. And the same, the same thing happened to the exact same thing happened to me because I yeah, also listen to a lot of physical media. I also play a lot of videos on YouTube of songs mm. and you know, other there are other ways to listen to music except from Spotify. But the way that I listen to Spotify is often to, and this is embarrassing to admit on air, play the same song over and over and over again until I'm sick of that song because it might I might love it and then I might play it 65 times then never play it again. But because I've done that in the space of I don't know two days, it becomes my most popular song of 2023. I know there are there are people who have said, look, I've got small children and so it's absolutely warped my Spotify rap. This happens every year. Somebody's like, oh, the Frozen soundtrack, it's right up there again. But what was interesting to me was just, and I know that, you know, there are services like Last.fm, there's scrolling. You can you can absolutely, if it matters to you, aggregate the, the things that you listen to in a place so that you can get recommendations based on the things you like. That's always been a foundational part of the listening experience where it intersects with the internet. And there are ways of doing that so that it can detect what you're listening to, even if it's on a piece of physical media as well. But it's work. It's extra work. And this is the thing, Spotify and, you know, the internet, everything has made us expect things to happen instantly. And so any extra work becomes this unbelievable impost that we're not willing to do. Well, I wonder though, how much it actually matters, this this aggregation and what it says about the way companies think we engage with with media, with music, with that. You know, it's inherent also, I think, in the word content, where mm. um, we talk about many different kinds of things as content, but their videos and their songs and their books and all kinds of other things. Um, content in itself is like, here's a thing that fills a void or something like that. Mm. It's made to be consumed and you must consume it. Yes, Um but people will also listen to things they don't like and watch things that they're like, you know, not that interested in or because they want to learn something. But it's it's not necessarily because that is a thing that they collect or they want to put on a shelf to perform for other people, mm. I suppose. Yeah. Um, a bit like what we were talking about last week with that, that Plex situation where Plex has received Plex, the video streaming uh, platform has received money to incorporate social sharing. Well, they've used the money to incorporate social sharing features into their into their app. And a lot of users don't like that because they they were like, well, this is one of the few apps left where I could just watch what I wanted to watch. And, and that's what it did. And it there was no real way for me to connect with friends and, and share like, here's what you watched this week. And that's fine because I don't actually care about that. Um, I think I think that all of this makes makes me wonder about the way that we relate to the music and uh, the creativity in our lives and what that means if it becomes something that is, uh, you know, either a tap that can be turned on or off or mm. something that's used to perform our personalities for other people, but also what that does mean for the things that, that we actively choose to spend money on and mm. engage with and the fact that those things are really important to people but as as pieces of digital media, they don't always have that sticking power. They're still ephemeral. Is 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 all media ephemeral then? Is all, oh, for want of a better word, all tattoos content. are temporary tattoos. All tattoos are temporary <laughs> tattoos. All right, so there are, there are definitely lines that we would like that. We can't we can't say that. But like the idea that the music that you listen to 
doesn't well they, you know, does it ever belong to us is does it belong to the world because it's out there and it's being listened to like you know there we we've got uh broadcast right now of radio waves that we are producing that are going not just into your ears but into the universe into yeah. you know that hello, those, pluto. hello pluto there's a these are radio like anyone who has the means by which to pick up these broadcasts can pick them up and so they belong to them just as much as they belong to us is that the same for music i don't know I think there's also, a, when you bring it back to a, a less sort of philosophical, more like consumer-based thing, mm. there's also, well, if I spent money on it, it shouldn't go away. No. If it's a, if it's an, a piece of media of some description. Well, certainly if it's sold to you as being yours. If, if, if I mean, for if God forbid we should have, be forced to go into the every term and condition <laughs> that we ever sign up to, but... If there if there's a clause in there that says you don't own this, even though you're spending what might feel like enough money in order to feel like you own this, you don't own this. Is that enough? Do you think? That is a really good question. I like if you feel like you own it because you paid thirty dollars as opposed to the thirty cents streaming per stream or whatever it is. Is 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 it about is it about a is it a user pay system? Well, I think it's is it also you, pay, that, you get for what you pay for, even. Well, the the act of deciding to spend money on something is is also a, an act of choice rather than just sort of happenstance, I suppose. Mm. And there are definitely platforms like Bandcamp that have made that a lot easier. Um, but it also does make me think about the the role of other ways of you know the, the role of like a, a library or something else, or as a transient space to think about. Um, Engaging with with media, with books, with you know shows, with all of those kinds of things, as you know, something that we want to experience, but not necessarily own forever and ever as and I, well. And I think that that is a perfect moment in which to have a brief pause in this conversation because our next discussion will be indeed about rot libraries, and that that exact question is something that we can pose. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. On November the 25th, the Namnagu Library opened up uh, in near the Queen Vic Market and in the city of Melbourne, which has provided a pretty cool new community space for a bunch of people who live in the city of Melbourne and around. Um, it's you know, one of Melbourne's fastest growing residential areas, the city centre itself, um, which is a super cool thing. And so it makes a lot of sense, I think, to put a library there. But here to talk with us about it is um, the Creative Melbourne Portfolio Lead, Councillor Jamal Hakim, who has a lot to say about the new library, and I am really keen to hear it. Welcome. Hi, Lily. Thank you for having me. No worries. We were we were just talking about digital media and media in this current, you know, day and age mm. as it relates to streaming services, personal ownership, that kind of thing. Libraries have traditionally been a kind of place that circumvents a lot of that, that allows people to access these things without needing to to pay for anything and particularly books, but also a lot of other things in the meantime. Um, what is behind the decision to, to build a new library today? Like, you know, we've got streaming content and so on. So um, this space, what does it do? The libraries are one of the most accessible spaces we have in our community. Um, there are more than just books nowadays. And I think uh, in looking at this is the first library we opened in a decade, so it's monumental. 
uh, three stories. It's got so much in there. The decision was about how, what do we need in our community? And we've had uh, a community in the north side of the city that is growing. It's doubled over time and it's going to double over the next 10 years as well. So that need to have a third space, a space where people can spend time, where students can study, where workers can go and use meeting rooms where community can have community spaces where kids can uh, run we've got a garden up on the rooftop as well was really important and as part of uh, i guess going out and and understanding what people want in a library we went to community and consulted on our library framework and uh, really understood exactly what community in the city of melbourne wanted from their libraries and we put that all together into namnagu Amazing. So, so I'm interested to find, to know when you were putting together the the list of facilities that this particular library would have, and you when you went out to the community, and you're like, "What do you guys want? What was what was the most outlandish or, or most out of the box idea?" Because when when obviously Lily, you mentioned, you know, we, when you think of libraries, you don't just think of books anymore. You think of there's a recording studio at the, at the Kathleen Syme Library. There's, um, you know, digital literacy courses, all this kind of stuff. But was there something that someone suggested you thought I've never thought of that? There was a lot, actually. So, and, and you're completely right. And one of the th- good things is through the pandemic, one of the programs we did was pop-up libraries. So we had these pop-up libraries across the city uh, that we were experimenting with. We had one on Elizabeth Street, which is looking at food, connecting the Queen Vic markets, but also had a maker space. Uh, and what was really popular was uh, the tools around coding. For example, for kids, there were uh, all our new sewing machines in there. That was really popular. So we knew that we had a kid's library down at Fed Square, ultra popular, the most popular library or pop-up library we've opened with so many people going in there, particularly people from a neurodiverse background who needed a break from the city. But when through that consultation process, one of the, I guess, uh, things that we didn't expect is everyone wanted tools, like just ordinary tools. Like Be- screwdrivers. Yeah, and, screwdrivers yeah. and hammers and drills and because of course we all live in apartments these days or a lot of us do uh, particularly in the inner city and we don't have every tool or the space to have tools and sheds so people just wanted some tools that's such a great idea yeah so you've got you've got tools at so this it, tools are coming tools. they're not there yet but they will be coming very soon so you will be able to uh, and actually can... rent some higher tools for free at the library and I can see you've got also, um, you know, there's 3D printers, laser cutters, sewing and embroidery machines, uh, paint and photograph station. That's this all sounds amazing. I I wanted to know how you how you divide up that space because it is also a library. There are books as well, I assume. There are books. There yeah. are definitely books. There's thirty thousand books in the library, twenty two thousand in the adult section, and eight thousand books in the kids section. Uh, it was a lot. We actually challenged the whole team. So librarians really uh, went through a lot to drive every square inch of this library uh, to perform for the community. We wanted so much in there with limited space and uh, it delivered. When you go through that space, has been curated from bottom up uh, by Marie Clark with Aboriginal knowledge in uh, perspective. It's actually Nagu means knowledge so in Wurundjeri language in Waiwurrung language so the the name of the library it was is Melbourne knowledge uh, and was coined by the Wurundjeri Waiwurrung council uh, so we wanted to make sure that every bit of this library was around knowledge which is you know what we want to share with our community oh that's fantastic I wanted to know a bit more also about the 
the digital resources that that are available there because a lot of libraries have got access and I know throughout the pandemic many libraries opened up this access without geo restrictions too to to ebooks to audiobooks to all kinds of online resources journal archives which I have found really useful as somebody who is interested in reading papers and you know academic papers without you know being a member of a university a lot of that's locked away but libraries give you that how do you how do you integrate that with the environment that you've got there are so many things you can do, but I think the basic and the first start of it, and this is where Nam Nagu has allowed us to really bring technology in, is we started with ensuring that technology in the library was future-proofed. So every part of this library is ready for what the future technology will bring. It's hardwired in, uh, and we've got the capability to take on new technologies. Uh, we've got new smart, for example, as uh, smart meters, smart step checks, so we know what where, what areas of the library the, that people are using. Every single room is Teams connected. It has uh, in uh, connected audio facilities, so microphones, speakers, everything, so that you can connect online. We have laptops to borrow that you can use throughout the library. So you can just pick up a laptop from a special locker that we've got in the library. Of course, you can use some desktops as well. And librarians are there. So there's support from the librarians as well as self-led support. But that's the basics. That's the start of the technology. And from there, we've started bringing in everything else from the laser cutters, the printer, 3D printers, and the stations that enable that. So, And I see libraries as truly the most accessible space. I used to work in health, and, and for me, libraries are also a health center. Mm-hmm. And this is why we coupled it with our health facilities. Uh, as we grow, as we look at how do we access health services, for example, we know that we're accessing them online. There's, there's technology now that you can sit in a room that is about common use. So things like um, a 5G uh, uh, ultrasounds, for example. Imagine if you are from the country in regional Australia and want to get access to a service in the city. So being able to go into a library and having a doctor in the city to control a machine that's in a library mm-hmm. uh, where you are to deliver that service. That's the technology, kind of technology and kind of the setup of the technology that we're wanting to platform. One of the other things, I suppose, that must have been considered in the design of this library is also that, you know, in the location in the city, you've got a lot of people who are moving there. You've also got quite a lot of people who are living there who don't have a fixed address, who are quite often on the streets or, you know, temporarily on the streets. Lots of kind of, especially people in unstable housing at the moment. Um, I'm thinking back to the episode we did a little while back on, on the situation with renting at the moment. And I know personally quite a few people who are, you know, in between lots of different places. Not to mention that access to technology in itself is something we take for granted, but it's expensive. Um, so hearing that you have laptops to borrow and things like that is is really great. What other kinds of services do you have available for people who are probably using the library as their primary mode of accessing the internet, of accessing modern technology? Really good question, Lily. And, and really anything you can think of that you want to do online, you can do at the library. Our librarians and our social workers, our uh, technology teams are there to support people, be able to access the internet, to be able to do their taxes, or, or not, you know, show them how they can access the, the functionalities. You know, how do you go through that piece? How do you register with government services? Uh, how do you learn? So, if you are a library user at the City of Melbourne, you get free access to LinkedIn, LinkedIn training, for example. 
that's normally something you can have to pay for. Uh, so you can access it at the library or you can access it at home through the service. Um, as an example, we had somebody, a person who was experiencing homelessness, who um, spent a lot of time in our makerspace and the team worked with them around taking the uh, the drawings they were making and, and scanning them and, and creating um, like a, a professional design sort of. Like a folio. Uh, like a yeah, folio, oh, yeah, but yeah. also teaching them how to make those designs into the specific formats that designers need. Uh, they then started learning with the library through the mechanism of the library around design. And two years later, they got a full-time job as a designer. And they've gone out of homelessness and kind of supported themselves, which is a really fantastic story. It's a fantastic outcome. It's interesting to hear you talk about how, particularly in that where, what you've just described, where we started with a analog medium of a person drawing, and then it became more digital to the point where it was completely digital. And I'm, I'm interested in this juxtaposition at the library you mentioned before. There are books in this library. There are tens of thousands of books in this library, but it's also a very forward-thinking technologically um, uh, literate library is that is that a diff a difficult thing to juxtapose to have next to each other or do, or do you find that the, the do people gravitate towards one thing or the other or is it a lot more fluid than that no i think it's quite fluid and look there's different spaces for different things so there are quite spaces for people to enjoy a read there are spaces for people to study uh, but there are also spaces where uh, people for example are using the sewing machines and they are really fancy sewing machines um, but you can do regular things but our team has worked for example with uh, people who are uh, older who love to sew and are fixing their clothes and have used that as an example of then teaching them how to use 3D printers to create a new button and so they've learned new technology and started adapting and using technology that they would have never thought about using for the things that they're doing around uh, for recycling clothes for example uh, and, and that's a really good way to uh, bridge that non-technology to the technology sort of space. That's wonderful. Um, if people want to find the library, first off, where can they find it? And then secondly, who can, who's eligible to, to join the library? Who's eligible to use the library? How do you, how do you get involved? So the library is at, at the Queen Vic Markets, just across the road from the Queen Vic Markets on the corner of Queen and Terry Street. There's two entrances, one on Queen Street and the main entrance is on Terry Street. You'll find that there it's just upstairs, three stories. If you have an address in Victoria, you can become a member of the library. It's free. Uh, all the facilities are free. Um, and uh, there's everything there from the maker spaces to the music studios we spoke about, a beautiful garden upstairs. Uh, I really would encourage everyone to take kids to the kids' library as well. Uh, and, of course, if um, someone's experiencing homelessness or needs any support, that can also be supported through our the library and the social services that we've got on site. It's, it's, it's a fantastic new facility to, uh, for, for our entire city. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Jamal, for uh, joining us tonight. We've been speaking with Councillor uh, Jamal Hakim from the City of Melbourne. And before we sign off, I did want to uh, touch on just a little bit of weird news. Um, we, I, I personally hate influencer culture. I think it is, it is a, a pox on society that we need to get rid of. And this is in evidence as to why. Um, a guy, a YouTuber, a guy who calls himself a YouTuber, who uh, intentionally crashed a plane in order to create some content, has been sentenced to six months in prison, and so he should have been. Oh. Uh, Wait, I have questions. 
All right, well, I'll, I'll give you the cliff notes on the situation and then we'll, we can fire the questions. Oh, no, please yeah. question me. Okay, where? Where did he crash this plane? Okay, okay. <laughs> so, so, so the basics. Um, so he was a YouTuber and former Olympic snowboarder Trevor Jacob. Uh, he was uh, in, sentenced to six months in prison after pleading guilty to one count of destruction and concealment with the intent to obstruct a federal investigation last June in Los Angeles. So this happened in California. Essentially what he did was... Uh, cr- uh, crashed the plane on purpose, uh, put a video on the plane uh, and then put that video up on YouTube with, with the title, I Crashed My Airplane, um, and then uh, basically obstructed the investigation that the uh, the, uh, the California and US uh, authorities did into the uh, the crashing of Wait. it because he didn't want to be found out that he crashed his own damn plane. So it sounds like he wasn't actually jailed for crashing the plane. It was because he tried to cover up the fact that he... That's exactly what happened. Okay. Which, yeah, I mean, look, it, uh, the fact that I... The most important thing is that he did something stupid that and went to prison for it. <laughs> Do you know what, though? I... You know, in the last couple of minutes of the show, I, I disagree with that. I feel like this is really in the spirit of Buster Keaton, of people doing their own stunts. You know what? Like like gonzo journalism or... No, no, no. no? More like, you know, people really putting their all into their craft. Uh, I, yeah. You know, we'll, uh, you fight me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I am all for, like... Don't don't die for your craft. That's going too far. No, please but, don't but, do that. But but no, you're, you're you're absolutely right. But this person is a narcissistic YouTuber, and I will make an exception for that. Buster Keaton, he ain't. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. <laughs> Look, I, I I think it's um, we can we can discuss this off, offline. But before yeah. before we go, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I do want to shout out that there's some really awesome tech stuff uh, at the NGV Triennial that's starting up this week. The 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 uh, the robot dogs doing drawing is something that I'm very excited about. Oh, and there's some TikTok content that looks like it's good. Yes. Yeah. 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 I heard uh heard the artist uh, on on breakfast is here the other day absolutely actually. yeah hydraulic press dances it's incredible so jump, go check it out absolutely jump on the ngv website and find out what's happening down at the triennial thanks folks thank you for listening we've been dan and lily yeah, um, thank you to uh, <laughs> J- jamal for coming in and speaking to us yeah, at that library thank you and, so much. and thank you very much to your listeners thank you to lulin our inimitable talks producer who, who helps the show come together every week we thank love you, you and to you guys for listening uh we have been bite into it and we will be back for our final show next week Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts.